Welcome to the suburbs. I'm Kim. I'm Juice. And this, this is, is Suburban, Suburban Podcast. Podcast. We're just two bougie Negroes trying to figure out how to express our blackness in white spaces. Follow us on Twitter at Suburban Pod. All right. Have fun and enjoy. Let's get to it. What you got? One cannot? Yeah. One one? No. Want some of these? No. I got six months till 30, nigga. I'm trying to be snatched. Well, I'm about to be all the way washed by the time I get to be 30. <laughs> and I don't... Fine. I mean, that's cool. I think I'm going to go to Miami for my birthday. Damn, you hopping on the Miami wave? Yeah. I've never been. My sister went, then Dre went. Everybody else been popping up, talking about Miami. I'm like, that could be a good time. Yeah. Plus, I don't think I'll have enough money to actually do what I want to do. What do you want to do? I want to go, like, to Jamaica. And live by the beach? Yeah. A bumble club? (laughs) But I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still catching up on shit from transitioning in between jobs and it's already july it's the middle of july I know, it's by. i'm going to like i said i'm going to san diego in september i gotta start saving for that buy my plane ticket still ain't about the plane ticket <laughs> <laughs> which i mean it, it'll all work out but i'm just trying to be realistic i i was planning on i really want to go to africa yeah. next year like i really would like to go to ghana yeah. But they said that shit is so expensive. It is. I actually looked in South uh, Africa. It's relatively cheap. Mm, I wonder why. It's because it's it was a British colony for colonized. so long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that raw, uncut. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the plane ticket alone to Africa is. Yeah. But you can get plane tickets i think to south africa for about a thousand yeah that's a lot of money to me <laughs> that does not sound cheap i mean i guess it's compared comparatively cheap mm. but flying out of atlanta mm, yeah, yeah. I, actually i think you fly out of washington mm. so you gotta travel before you travel <laughs> right to get to ghana you have to go to like Amsterdam or somewhere. Oh, now I do want to go to Amsterdam. Mm-mm-mm. Why Amsterdam, Kim? I heard it was. I, I've just heard good things about Amsterdam. Mm, I'm sure you have. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of places where you can do things that you can't do here, hint, hint. <laughs> uh, I heard that. Uh, well, I didn't hear. I know that uh, Canada just made it completely legal, legal. to smoke weed. That's what's up. Like it's not even like decriminalized. It's like it's legal to have recreational marijuana. Bet going there for New Year's, Bruh. <laughs> when this Trump America fails completely, <laughs> hey, Canada uh, it is. But yeah, I I would like to go to Africa next year. I'm trying to convince other people to go. Nobody wants to go with me. I'll go. 
yo, let's make it happen. We got to do some fundraisers, though. Yeah, we got to do some serious planning and mapping out of of yeah. things. Yeah. Hint, hint. We might be selling shirts. Oh, <laughs> turned up a cup. Selling shirts and other merchandise. We're going to put our face on everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like ridiculous shit. We like... Oh, yeah, I got this Kibbit Juice salt shaker, salt and pepper packet. <laughs> hey. I'm going to keep saving up points and I'm going to get the oven mitt next week. All the exposure we we can get. Everybody buy merch. Yeah. Speaking of which, I did. Like, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll okay. Talk. Okay. <laughs> but. Let's yeah. see. What we got? What we got up to talk about today? You said responses to our last episode. Yeah, I guess we can start there. Yeah. Um, like I was telling you earlier, um, Mia definitely reached out. Yo, let's talk about her crazy ass for a second. <laughs> I have straight been following Mia for like three months on from like the uh, podcast uh, Twitter. We always tweet about the podcast, and somehow, <laughs> my baby cousin just completely missed that it was me and you. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, you know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of motherfuckers out here promoting shit. She probably just thought we were just another random, yeah, half dude ass nigga set. <laughs> right, like we ain't about that life. But Crazy. now, now she on game, so. right? She and the fam. Now, like, like, I'm, we got to start doing call-ins or something so she can verify all the crazy <laughs> shit about my fucking family. Oh, that'll be funny. Family crazy. Because I was talking to my other cousin on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. And I was asking her because on Ancestry, like, because all my family's from relatively the same area on both sides... There's multiple crossovers. Mm-hmm. Like on my mom's side, I may be related to somebody one way, and then on my dad's side, I'm related to them another way. Mm-hmm. So, like when I get matches on Ancestry, I can't really tell. Oh yeah. So I was asking my cousin how I was related to this person, and she didn't know that we were even related to him. That's and so crazy. We started talking about that. That's crazy. I I mean, what make I just think about like how many other people have that same kind of situation. Yeah. But, and then also like that hookup and stuff interracially though. Yeah. Because of, I mean, already because, you know, slavery, you know, a lot of mixed situations came out of that. But then, I mean, when you think about crossing racial lines and like how having to keep it secret too. Yeah. Ooh, that's, the like, world is a crazy place. <laughs> like of the hundreds of matches I got, I have like this one group. They're all my fourth cousins. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They're all white. They have no black. Isn't ancestry. that crazy? Yeah, but we we don't know how. One of my friends told me a couple of years ago that um, everyone's DNA is like only like point three or point oh three percent different. It's not much. Like. It's so crazy. That is so crazy. Like, I I ran, like, because Wendy had hers done. She came back 1% uh, African black. <laughs> but, 
So I ran her DNA and my DNA on this other website. And we had several people that were related to both of us. Like, a good amount. Mm-hmm. And, like, her family's from Baton Rouge and mine's from South Central Mississippi. Hmm. So, that shit is wild. Six degrees of separation. Yeah. It doesn't take much. Yeah. Especially like if you think about your family being in one specific region for over 200 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of time for a lot of shit to happen. Yeah. That's also why when I came back, it's like 43% Ghana. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes sense. Rip your set, nigga. Gang, gang. You gotta go to Ghana now. I need to figure mine out before we go. We need to try to figure out a way to get sponsors to pay for it. Like, we need to get the African Ancestry one. Because mm. that shit is 300 fucking dollars. Is it? Yeah. Oh, no. And then the scary thing is if you do the male testing, most African American men have a Y chromosome from Europe. Because it was passed down from slave owners. Right. So you can pay that $300 and you find out that whole... Some shit you don't want to find <laughs> out. <laughs> Bro, I don't want to know my fucking family's from Ireland. Fuck that <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, okay, but back to Mia. Circle circle it back to Mia. Okay. Um, She messaged me and it was very endearing. But she just was telling me that she had experienced, you know, crazy things with men. She didn't go into detail, but she was just like, I, you know, I get it. And you're not alone. And, you know, you're worth this. You're a queen. You're blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, thank you. But we, you know, we were just saying that it is crazy that so many women have just absolutely ridiculous stories. Yeah. When it comes to men. <clears throat> and the lengths that men go through like I'm not even gonna lie like like when you were telling me I was thinking about some of the stupid shit I've fucking done and I felt mad like I've never just I've never done that type of shit yeah but I'm still participating in toxic terrible things mm-hmm. even from like trying to slut shame somebody or uh Things that you view as innocent, like, because also men have a thing to be like, well, I didn't rape her. Yeah. Like, and minimize other ways of, like, harassment and, um, harassment, even other parts of, like, sexual assault. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they look at it as, like, all I did was, uh, hit her on the ass. Like, bro, you... It's just so, like, embedded. It's almost like the microfibers of of what make a man like it's just so normalized and almost expected and tolerated that no one recognizes that recognizes it as a problem until like i said last week you're a man who has a daughter Mm. and suddenly you want to protect her yeah from the men who are just like you. It's it's a full circle yeah. situation. It's it's crazy when you start like breaking it down like on an everyday level to where it's not like we have a thing where we're trying to make it like 
that the people that commit sexual harassment and sexual assault are these like gargles or trolls that mm-hmm. live off and they're only monsters and it's just like the same way we talk about the way that child abuse happens we act like the only people that are being uh that are abusing children are these Crazy. fucking weird looking motherfuckers yeah. now it's your pastors your teachers your family Uncles. members everybody yeah and it and people defend those people mm-hmm. like when they have the whole like oh she's just a fast little girl type thing that's the type of things that we're trying to dismantle yep and men have to be willing to understand and listen and don't make excuses for other men but also the men because i feel like we're we're just in a progressive era right now for a lot of this shit you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um but the same thing with racism the way white people are going to be the only people that can dismantle racism men are going to be the only people that can dismantle this sexism and misogyny and you know what i'm saying like y'all have to start the ones who know better have to start calling other motherfuckers out on bullshit when they say even the slightest rapey type of thing i've been really thinking about whether or not i have too much of a potty mouth on here i mean i know i have a potty mouth in real life but (laughs) it definitely i've actually been thinking about that as well bleeds over into the show and i like i'm i'm not apologizing for it (laughs) i just wonder if it's appropriate for all of our audiences but at the same time this is kind of a space where i want to be able to be myself like we'll definitely have to do better (laughs) like because i've been thinking about that as well also that's why i sent you one of those logos because i was thinking i i know we get what using two bougie niggas means Mm. but yeah it may be something that we may want to think about. Could be read in the wrong way. And if a white person comes to me and calls me a nigger, old sight nigga, <laughs> old sight. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> Men have to be the ones to dismantle uh, misogyny, and white people also have a way of. I mean, they're gonna have to dismantle white supremacy, mm-hmm. and they can't get in their feelings the same way that men can't get in their feelings when women call them on things, or other men call them on things. Can't do the same thing when people when people of color call them on things. Yeah, especially when you know these things exist. Like, don't gaslight us. Mm-hmm. It's just like, have you seen the people saying that we should boycott Sammy T's and Fubar and all the other places that discriminate yeah. downtown? Yeah. Like, I know it's a cool, like, I guess the cool thing for people to be like, this is in America, the way we shouldn't have people being racist and uh, letting it slide, but we do let it slide. Yeah. These people go downtown every week 
and yeah. see black people get turned away left and right. And then continue to go. And they don't even think about it until they go down with one of their black friends mm-hmm. and they see the humiliation in their eyes. And they still continue to go though. Yeah. And they're just like, no, it was just that one time. No, it's not. And you know that. It's happening way too often for it to not be a thing. Right. And that's a problem. I and, mean, and if you let that happen, you're a part of the problem. Right. You, the fact that you can speak from personal experience Right. should say how big of an issue it is but i mean i can too <laughs> you know what i'm saying but how many of our white friends can say that i've ever had issues with getting anywhere downtown right like i've seen my white friends wear white t-shirts and jordans yeah get in flat bills and everything right all the t- tank tops apparently like tank tops weren't allowed for a, a while on men like male tank tops mm. um but yeah like me and my friend tried to get into foobar i want to say a month ago maybe a little over a month ago he had on a graphic tee and some cargo shorts and some sneakers um pretty well, <laughs> <laughs> like pretty laid back not you know dirty but not dressed up just a casual outfit and we get up to the line and there's this guy he is wearing like um some like mismatched suit coordinates that were not coordinating it was it was like he was trying to be somebody that he wasn't and it just wasn't working but so we get up to him and he's like um what did he say? He was like, I can't let you in. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? He was like, no, I can't let you in. And I was like, okay. So, you know, he walks away, but me and my feisty ass, (laughs) I'm sitting here, you know, kind of half drunk. I'm like, did he really? So I turned around and I started to walk away. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. So I went back and I was like, so explain, you know, what what's the reasoning here? Because y'all don't have a dress code posted, which they don't. No. The only per- the only place that has a dress code that is visible it was Amendment 21. So R. I was R. like, R. R. right. Uh, I was like, y'all don't have a dress code posted, at least not where I can see it. So what is your reasoning for not letting him in here? Then he wouldn't answer me. Like he kept ignoring me. He was looking away. And I was like, can you tell me like one thing, one reason why we can't come in here right now? So I was like, is this your decision or are you basing this off of something? He was like, no, it's my decision. I was like, okay, motherfucker. It's <laughs> like, okay, okay, okay. And I had to count to 10 because my blood was boiling. Right. I was like, you sitting here scooting all these other folks in here. But for some reason, quote unquote, we can't get in and you can't tell us why. If that's not discrimination to the fullest, like, and my thing is, is who can you call at that point? They call the police. The police gonna be on the side of the business owner. Right, like oh, they have the right to refuse and blah blah. blah. Like, okay, it's, but not based on nothing though. It's classic de jure, de jure racism. 
Yeah. It's not even the fact though where you can just be like, well, maybe. Well, no. Uh-uh. It's, it's, there's there's no maybes. Right. And there's nobody that you can. There's no justice <clears throat> above that. You can't sue really for discrimination because you know people aren't gonna go for that. And the, or suddenly you know somebody will come up with a reason. Yeah. And it'll be like, oh well, and it's like, okay. It's just like I haven't been. I haven't been anywhere downtown besides Humphreys and Voodoo since last summer when I got turned down at Fubar after uh, our reunion, mm-hmm. in which I was wearing a button-down shirt and mm-hmm. khakis, mm-hmm. and they said my khakis were "quote unquote" too baggy. Yeah, that was bullshit. And then I was like, "Fuck it!" Like, cause I, it's always worse when you're like. Man, I'm gonna let I'm gonna try it. All my homies in here, Akeem was here, right? And it was like, yo, fucking, let's just try, right? It. Like that's already not your scene, right? We were just going because we were going, right? And but then to try to go and to be turned away, it's like, well, shit. And then like when I left, like, and then people, like people who had came in, they were like, where, you, man, where you going? I'm like, yo, they say I can't get in. I'm like, Are you fucking serious? Yeah. But like people don't they put that off to the side. Mm-hmm. They're like those are those people. Yeah. Not saying the people that said that to me, but I'm saying like the people that go down there every week. Yeah. And justify the reason why this long line of black people ain't going. Right. What they need to do like fifty of the best dressed Negroes need to show up in line at once. Wearing like bow ties and everything. Oh yeah, and let's just watch and see what happens. Because and that's, see how they react. That's all it'll take. Because I I don't know why things have gotten. I think things have gotten to the point in Huntsville to where people accept our own oppression. Mm-hmm. It's like man, like it's just like people saying, man, let's just not spend our money down there. Tons of niggas didn't decide that they ain't gonna spend their money down there. But what you going to do? Right. Are you going to dress up pretty much like the Monopoly man to get your ass in? Right. Or are you just going to do what I do? Just fucking just go stay home. out of it. Yeah. Become a fucking hermit. Most normal people don't want to become hermits. Me, on the other <laughs> hand, I am prepped to live in my own element. <laughs> Therefore, social interaction is not needed for me. Yeah. But on a normal, you know, human being with normal social uh, actions without anxiety and things wants to go out and have fun with their friends in mm-hmm. public. But at what expense is it worth? Right. And white people got to be on the forefront of this shit. They really do. They really do. And I'm not even saying it from like a, a whole standpoint. Like we need a white savior to come. No. Like no, it's just like if white people get disgusted enough, shit change. will change. Yeah. It's just like everything else. We don't need anybody to save us. We just we, need people to be on our side. We need cosign. As sad as it is, we need right because it's it, having the the idea that you know we need a white savior is basically saying that we need someone to come in and. And, and tell us, you know, what we need to do. And, and no, we don't need that. We know what's up. We've been saying what's up for a long right. ass time. 
hundreds of years actually <laughs> we don't need a white savior we need a white partner we need white allies exactly. like true allies not right. ones that just want to do it for the gram and shit not yeah ones not for revelry really, or right mm-mm. and you ain't even doing it for the proof of white people we need people that are just gonna do it for right 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 is right wrong is wrong if we're gonna act like we like true equality exists like on a bigger scale, this is why I've been thinking about lately of why I could never be like a conservative person. Like if you're ba- if you actually believe that everything is equal and the world is pretty much perfect or as close to perfect as it can get, then yeah, you can believe that uh, the best person will take the job or uh, merit is actually valued. Mm-hmm. But we don't live in that society. So to believe that people are just have a loser mentality and they want to be oppressed. No, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. The only people who do that, I think, are white people. Right. And that's the other thing. They (laughs) they assume that because some people choose that they're oppressed. Or they, they try to act like they're oppressed. Mm-hmm. They think that the rest of us are doing that. Like, mm-hmm. nah, bro. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about what you're wearing when you're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Even when you're dressed like the people around you. Right. Because that's not good enough. Even though, like, you know without a doubt that you are okay to be welcomed into this place. But you still nervous when you get in line because it ain't no telling who is in what mentality right you know and you know that if the cops are called they ain't gonna be on your side not one bit they're gonna be on the property owner side or whatever white man is closest that's why it's gonna take white people to dismantle this shit even in and it's ridiculous because even in the places that I can say that are more like safe spaces downtown, like Humphreys and Voodoo and shit, and Amendment, um, I've still had experiences. I've never had a bad experience in Voodoo. I haven't had a bad experience in Humphreys. I haven't had a bad experience in Voodoo. I have had a bad experience in Amendment. Um, amendment, amendment was straight up just segregated, to be honest. Yeah. It was like... The situation was absolutely ridiculous what happened in there. And luckily the girl got fired after the incident, but just, it's just crazy that you think that you're safe and then you're not right. Like you, it's crazy that we, we have these spots. We have our spots that we go to where we feel like it's okay for us to be us, but then still there's somebody in there that got to fuck it up. Yeah. Like I said, there's never, I feel like we can never just fully let our guards down. No. And I think that's what, I think that's what people who are not, I'm going to say it like this, people who are non-persons of color don't understand. Mm-hmm. You're always aware because the minute you're not aware is how you get fucked all the way up mm-hmm. and it might not just be you don't get into this club it might be that you laying on the concrete mm-hmm. and your mama crying mm-hmm. that's the stuff we have to live with 
but everybody acts like we're just choosing oppression. It's just like when they use, I, like, this is my pet peeve, when they use uh, well, Chicago oh. as, like, well, what about Chicago? It's yeah. been a Democratic control for years. and Yeah, but let's talk about redlining and how you've segregated communities and you made economic development not go into those communities. That reminds me, one of my friends, he had posted something about how... Um, like racism was implemented in like the banking system. Yeah. And some, one of his white friends commented and was like, ha ha, come on dude. Like for real. And I replied to him and I was like, yeah, it's, it, you think it's funny because this doesn't directly affect you. Right. But what I really don't understand is why aren't people allowed to, or why not allowed to, why aren't people able to, listen to someone else talk about their oppression and their struggles and their hardship and, and believe them and and put themselves in that situation to be able to open up another perspective instead of wanting to put like, how can you tell me that my experience is a lie or how can you tell me that what I'm feeling because of my experience is is unreal or that is bullshit like it's because it's so foreign to the people of privilege just like with men like when women tell them i mean when women tell them their experiences and they're just like uh maybe you're overreacting yeah it's like that same bullshit people aren't able to put like oppressed people are able to put their to a certain degree, themselves in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. It's just like when you talk about uh, issues that have to do with the LGBTQ plus community. Right. Like, it used to be a point to where when people would be like, yeah, but gay issues are different from civil rights. No, no. they're not. They're pre- <laughs> they're gay oppressed. rights are civil rights. Right. But I think that it takes a level of unlearning that tribalist mentality or the sexist things. But in today, in, in 2018, there's just, there's so much opportunity to have your eyes open. We have too many protests and too many videos of, of people of color being mistreated and too, too much evidence of police brutality and all this other craziness that I know people are, reading and i know people are seeing but they tune it out because they think we're just like we're just making excuses for and what though to to what what is the benefit of that what if we they gotten, look at it as they they actually it's people that actually think that it's better to be black in this country now <laughs> because you get free things like you get welfare and food stamps oh okay but it's so ridiculous like even if you were using that logic so my life is better because I can't afford to pay for right because I need or, assistance right, but like be like oh, well they uh they don't have to work and they get all this stuff but they live shitty ass fucking lives yeah they live in the worst neighborhoods with the worst food worst jobs um violence yeah. everywhere yeah and the more sinister thing that people aren't able to realize is those places became that way for a reason mm-hmm institutional racism is real yeah it's just like when like you said the person uh just laughed at the idea that's what redlining did right 
you couldn't afford houses. It's just like, all right, you know, like how we were talking about how you said you wanted to live in five points. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you some of those houses, if you were to buy one, they have uh, stuff from when they were built in like the 40s and 50s mm-hmm. saying that they could never sell to a black person. Yeah, I believe it. That's what people don't understand. The suburbs were built because they didn't want certain people in. Yeah, they were trying to enclose a specific community. Yeah, and generations of people grew up in those segregated communities and they just thought it was normal that they didn't see fucking black people every day. Right. It's because they didn't choose to work hard enough to get there. No, it's because they worked hard enough and they were denied opportunity. And still slapped in the face. Right. And now you're telling the descendants of those people all the years of discrimination against you is your fault. Right. It's it's in our heads. And it's your grandparents' fault. Right. Even though they face real racism, you're the ones that are making excuses. Even though they were forced to do things against their will. Yeah. It's the same, man. You literally look up. Like, they made a documentary, I think, in the 50s. Mm Mm-hmm. About Leavenworth. Mm-hmm. I think it was Leavenworth. Wait, no. Leavenworth. That's mm-hmm. it. It was built for... It was the suburbs built for white GIs returning from World War II mm-hmm. and Korea. Mm-hmm. Bill O'Reilly grew up in Leavenworth. Mm-hmm. And they had... Um, the homeowners associations had it to where no black people could live there. So, like, there's a documentary... From the 50s, like, here's the other thing. People also make it seem like that was just the time people didn't know they were wrong. No, people knew they were wrong back then. Absolutely. So there's this documentary in the 50s where they're talking about why won't they, it it might be early 60s, why won't they let black people move in? If you watch that, it's word for word things that people say to this day about black people still yeah the same shit and then even the whole like what about chicago is one of the talking points in that in the 50s yes this shit ain't new and the more you study things the more you realize that you can like you're in the matrix Mm -hmm. and you reality is not what you think so when all these people are saying something Mm mm-hmm that's so foreign to your idea. Mm-hmm. You need to ask why. Yeah. Why is it that women feel a certain type of way about how society is set up? Right. Why is it that black and brown people feel a certain type of way how society is set up? Right. Why is it that gay people are afraid that they're going to get fucking killed Just for, for being gay? Right. It's because people died from that. Exactly. People face violence from it. Exactly. And laws were put in place to make sure they were subjugated. And the same people who were your grandparents and great grandparents that stood by and let it happen ingrained that in you to where when you see black and brown people denied every day as simple things like going into a club, you turn the other way. Because you think that that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you might not even think in the front of your brain that that's how it's supposed to be. But it's a small part in the back of your brain that's like, maybe this it's their up. fault. Yeah. Or or this is fucked up, but how do I stand up against my peers? Mm-hmm. Everybody acts like they don't know any racists, but when, you, when they go to their uh, houses on Sunday dinners, <laughs> you hear your uncles and your father saying racist ass shit. Oh, yeah. 
I know I hear it. <laughs> and I'm black. Absolutely. So let's not act like what's going on in my household is completely different from what's going on in your household. We ain't that different. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, thinking that it's easier to be a person of color or easier to be a person of a certain uh, class um because of welfare and and things being handed to you is absolutely and it's funny because I was listening to uh well read and they were saying the same shit they're like all these people that complain about you know the people who are on welfare they always talk about how you know it must be nice but they don't ever actually want to take that life right like you don't if you don't want to switch places in life if you think it's that good let's let's switch places yeah let's let's switch places then since you think it's it's so great but now back on this mental health shit so my sister um was texting me last week so recently she went on a vacation to Miami just like a four-day thing with um it was her and three of the girls um so they went to Miami for a weekend and you know it looked like she had fun she let loose you know she has um she has a kid now my nephew Chase and it was her first vacation like away from him like she's been on like little trips to nashville and gatlinburg and stuff but she always took him with her so it was her first time to just kind of you know take a breather let loose right um so she texted me just upset last week and she was basically saying how my parents were onto her um because of the pictures she had posted, which she posted pictures of just like her and her friends and their, you know, going out outfits and pictures of them and their bikinis and stuff on the beach, which, you know, it's like normal things people do when they go on vacation. Right. And my parents didn't like it because she was quote unquote exposing herself. And, you know, my dad was asking her, what was it that she had to prove and and this and the other and I'm just like man it's it's so crazy I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's just specific to like my parents and us but I feel like all parents have a a vision of what they want their children to do and how they want them to be and my parents were pretty strict Um, it wasn't like crazy, crazy strict, but they were pretty strict. And, you know, to the point where I I remember distinct conversations with my mom, us sitting on the bed and her telling me to never get tattoos and never get piercings anywhere other than my ears and, you know, never draw attention to my body in any kind of way and this and the other. So I feel like they, they have an idea of what they want us to be. And I feel like neither one of us came out to be that. And it almost feels like a disappointment, which is 
a little depressing, not only just because, I mean, being a disappointment is depressing, but the fact that we're disappointing you is based on us and our true selves. You know what I'm saying? Like we aren't doing anything but being us and y'all don't like it to the point where, you know, both of them were getting on to her. Like, no, you need to take this down, take this down. I'm like, she's not doing anything but what normal people do on vacation. Right. But like y'all have this this perfect patty image of us that y'all want us to be these knee length skirt wearing women who you know what I'm saying wearing poodle skirts and shit right like <laughs> so just thinking about how your parents own perception of you and what they view you as and how they view you or how they want you to be how it can be a little crippling mm-hmm. which can kind of get into your head. And also lead to some some other mental issues or trigger some mental issues, because I know specifically for me and she, and she we were just having this whole deep conversation and I was just saying, you know, our mom she just is so clean cut and so you know rooted in the Bible and so militant about being a certain kind of woman that she has always been pretty hard on us on how we look always been pretty hard on us on how we keep ourselves up physically. And she was just telling me about how, you know, she, she hated how my mom would talk to me about like any kind of weight gain and any kind of, you know, about things that I wore and and telling me about things I shouldn't wear. And I, I really honestly, think that parents don't understand that once your child is a certain age especially adult age that you kind of have to look at your children as their own people right and I think that my parents are never going to grasp that because I feel like we have had so many interventions <laughs> you know sit down family talks and stuff and damn y'all niggas really are the huckster. we you know what i'm saying <laughs> we we talk about how things go down within the family and why things that have to change in order for us to be better and my mom is really controlling and we we've told her you know you gotta just loosen up a little bit and it's it's just it's just crippling like i i have honestly been in this weird duality with who i actually am and who i have to be in front of my parents and i know you know most people have that but i feel like the level that we have that is a little bit more extreme like even now as a 29 year old woman going on 30 in a couple months, I still do not leave the house wearing certain things until I get to where I'm getting and then I'll change or, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I shouldn't feel like that at this age. And it's, it's, it's hard to actually be confident and rooted in yourself and really know yourself when you can't ever be your true self a hundred percent of the time. And I wonder if anybody actually can, or is that something that is a, a, a byproduct of a controlling parent in a strict <laughs> environment? <laughs> <laughs>
Um, it's a little different for me and Andre because we're boys. Yeah. My sister, though, she my sister's five years older than me. Um, they were strict as hell on her. Yeah. Part of that was because my mom got pregnant right when she turned 18. Now, before, like, this, like, my grandparents, like, my mom always says this, like, she always wanted to make sure that she talked to us about things because she always felt like her parents didn't. Mm-hmm. They just expected her to just do right. Yeah. But I think that's also because knowing who she was, they they didn't worry about her as much as her siblings. Mm-hmm. So when she came up pregnant, they literally thought it was the end of the world. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my parents thought that I was going to be the one being getting pregnant at 18 and not my sister, which my sister didn't get pregnant since she was 20, but... I, uh, my sister was 20 when she got pregnant. I'm, I'm way more wild than my sister. My right. sister is more of a homebody. Like, she's more calm, but I'm pretty sure they thought that it would be me before it would be her. And like when my like, like when you were talking about how your sister talked about how hearing the way to her, that y'all parents talk to you, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same way with like with my sister. Mm-hmm. My mom's main focus was to make sure my sister didn't get pregnant before she was uh, married, mm-hmm. or at least until she was older. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would just say certain things and. I, I heard all those things that my mom was saying to my sister and I internalized it. And that's why I'm a little different than like Andre. Yeah. I think it's something about being that, that step right underneath because it's just y'all two and it's three of us. So being that, like you hear all the things that your parents are saying mm-hmm. and you, like you personalize it. But yo, um, my sister got pregnant her senior year at UNA and um my mom my mom handled it pretty well but my mom did let my sister know that she was upset no she was actually very supportive because she didn't want to alienate her the way that she was but she also did things like as a tough love that my sister internalized and she felt like she because my mom married my dad she felt like she had to get married to her son's father mm-hmm. and he wasn't half the man my father was. yeah like I... multiple things I won't go in detail but multiple things happened yeah and my sister didn't feel like she could just walk away because she was looking at the image of her parents. Mm-hmm. My parents this past may have been married 35 years. Yeah. So they got married young, but they stuck it out and they went through all the things they had to do. But yeah. I think that's also because my father was a good man. It, it was not just, not every man can be that and come home every night and support like his family and everything. See, y'all the Huxtables too. Nigga. You can't we be, you are, can't be talking about me. Like, <laughs> no, like y'all the Huxtables. We are like the Evans family from Good Times. 
Shut up. <laughs> like my dad is straight uh, James Evans. But no, I, I feel like it's it's the exact same situation your sister and my sister's experience. My mom, she was super supportive, you know, with my sister because my of course my sister was scared to tell her, but you know she was way more supportive than I thought. But my sister was actually telling me that you know even though she was supportive in the beginning when she first found out she still kind of says and does little things to kind of like not shame her, but you know what I'm saying? Just take little jabs about I th- it. And- I also think part of that generation was, it was kind of a tough love thing. Yeah. And they were trying to prepare us for a world that's not accepting of people who look like us. Yeah. Especially I'm going to assume having two young women mm-hmm. who are black. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they were trying to prepare y'all for certain things. Yeah. And I mean, it's no, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking trash about my parents. I know everything that they did for us was out of love and right. You know, they had our best interests, but now one thing like cause my mom, like we've talked about this, how our parents, our moms are probably the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. So what, like, my mom would have been more strict on me and Andre if she got lupus when I was in eighth grade. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, she had she got really sick. Like, pretty much my high school years. Mm-hmm. Like, I never really talked about that with anybody. But she got, she was really sick. So. My mom did, too. So, oh, my God. This shit's crazy. It's like a weird parallel. It wasn't lupus, but she, she, had, she had some auto, issues. Autoimmune but yeah it's so that happened and my mom sort of like from that experience her she changed a little bit and i think also because she was so young raising us she grew up a little bit mm-hmm. and by the time maria was in college she was like i didn't got the girl out of the house she a woman now <laughs> and she took a step back and so me and andre like through high school, we were, like we knew she was sick, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't do fucked Stress up shit. Stress her out. Yeah, yeah, we knew like it was like, we'll just make sure that she's okay, and like we knew what to do. And then also, my mom always felt like if me and Andre were in the same place, we were gonna keep each other out of, out of trouble, even if we had to fight each other. Yeah, we were gonna be okay. But I think that changed my mom a little bit mm-hmm. and she also realized that she didn't want to hand out some of the things that like what she always says the generational curses she focused mostly on making sure that we knew that she was supportive of us mm-hmm. and she let us know that we can make mistakes but it wouldn't be um like even if she might be upset at the moment or like what what were you doing? She wouldn't try to make it be like a end all being like, Well, you're cut off or Yeah. So I think both my parents actually they they wanted to do that because like my dad, his his mom made him pay rent when he was in high school. Damn. Like some crazy shit. 
And like I said before, my granddad died and he was an army vet. So she had pension and social security, widow's benefits and everything. They still had to pay rent. Yeah. So when he was, when he got married to my mom, they bought a trailer on family plot and everything like that. So when I got back from Gremlin, they were like, yo, if you come back, it'll save us a lot of money. You can just stay here. You won't have to work. But just make sure you do what you got to do. Yeah. And neither one of their parents would have done that. Yeah. I feel like what my parents are doing for me, my par- uh, their parents didn't have that. But um. And my mom still didn't want me to move out when I finally did move out. Like, when I be talking about moving out, my mom be looking at me crazy. And like, I'm like, why are you going to move out? <laughs> Girl, I'm old as hell. I got to get out at some point. <laughs> I can't bring nobody back here. I think my parents are finally starting to understand that it is really hard out here for us. Like, um, cause that's another thing my sister was saying. She was like, you know, not only did I not like how she would talk to you about, you know, your appearance or whatever, but she was so super hard on you when you were having hard times getting jobs. Cause there was literally a point where I was applying anywhere that was hiring anywhere that I can get a job. Like I wasn't above anything. I had, I was unemployed for a month and it was driving me crazy for one, because not having money sucks, but I'm such an independent person. When it gets to be that long without money, you have to start asking people for help. And I hate that shit. That's scary shit in the world. Like Like, my phone got cut off and that blew my mind. (laughs) Had never happened to me before. And I had to ask my parents for money to to pay the late fee and to pay, you know what I'm saying, the bill on top of that to get my phone turned back on. But that that wrecked me. Like I was in a depression because of that. But on top of that, like she was just so hard on me and she just didn't understand. She was saying that I wasn't doing enough. The reason why I couldn't get a job. Like I was literally out here applying to McDonald's with a whole ass college degree and couldn't get like I, I went, I think, three or four months without a job. And if I wasn't able to live with them, I don't know what I would have done. But she was just so hard on me. Like, you're not doing enough. I don't see you. You know, you're not out. And I'm like, well, going out to these places requires things that I don't have, like (laughs) gas. I don't have money to keep my phone on. I damn sure don't have no gas money. You need money to look for a job. And I think that's what they don't understand. And I was flat broke. Like, savings gone, nothing in the check. Like, flat ass broke. (laughs) And she was just so hard on me. Both of them were at one point. I think my dad kind of let up, but she was still just so militant about this is what you need to do. And this is this is why you're not getting this job. And this is what you're going to do. And and look at this job over here. Go over here. Do this. Do that. And I'm like, there is it got to the point where I had a breakthrough and I was like, there is only so much that I can do. And you can't. You can't be my mom and, and, and be a person that is so rooted in, in religion and faith and and be so up my ass about things that I can't control. I can only apply to these jobs and, you know, double back, do my check backs and call backs. And that's it. All I can do is apply and wait. But she was just so like on me, on me every day, every minute of the day look, this job is hiring. Go here, open this link, apply. Here. 
it gets to the point where I literally had to start writing down the jobs that I was applying to because I had to keep up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think I had it. My list was over 50 applications long, which it, when you think about some of these applications, that that is tedious work. And having to like tweak my cover page and my objective on my resume to fit every single, you know what I'm saying? Position like, I just what I think what I'm getting to is I wish parents number one I I wish my parents I'm not gonna say parents I wish my parents were more open with us about who they were growing up I do I do wish that too because and and I tell people this all the time like my friend Kayla she talks about how she pretty much tells her mom everything but she lost her dad a couple years ago but I mean, she can talk to her mom about her friends. She can talk to her mom about her dating relationships. She can talk to her mom about work problems. She can talk to her mom about anything. There's only so much that I can talk to my parents about without there being some kind of reprimanding or or judgment or, you know what I'm saying, them starting to worry or, or being too... Uh, wanting to monitor me monitor me more and I know <laughs> I I know number one that my dad had a crazy life growing up like he had to, he had to fend for himself um for a while and but at the same time like I know that he was a partier and a smoker and a drinker but we don't ever hear about none of that. <laughs> now leave it to my mom. She sweared that she did everything by the book and <laughs> didn't have sex until marriage. And the worst thing I ever did was have sex before marriage. Right. Now my mom will admit that. that, she but, was sex. She but I mean, had... she got your sister. Right. right. Like the proof is there. The receipts are there. But I just, I wish that, that they did that number one. So we wouldn't have this pressure of an unrealistic, thing to live up to one thing i am glad that I did was first i'll come back from grambling and move back in with my parents because i did get to know them behind just them being my parents more See, I, i've never been able to do that like my dad doesn't talk at all like my dad's like spy guy oh yeah he don't, he don't talk same like my dad is a quiet person he goes into his man cave mm watch sports, eat popcorn, and he just chill. He don't drink no more. He he drinks some root beer and shit like that. But, like, when I got back and me and Andre were going through our party phase where we're wilding out, like, when my mom was starting getting freaked out because, like, her dad was an alcoholic. Mm. So, she had, she's a teetotaler. Like, she's never drank at all. Same. My mom swore I was an alcoholic at one point. Oh, both my parents did at one point. Like, so, but when I first got back, my dad would be telling my mom, like, man, they're boys. Let them calm. Like, they're okay. They're not going to do nothing. Then it got to the point where it was like, I think DJ might be an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) And then by the time, like, by the time Chance died, Chance died when I was 26. They were just hoping I made it through each day. Yeah. And so they backed off a little bit. 
but I was so like depressed and everything that it was just focused on on each day. Mm-hmm. But I think the balance that they had of trying to understand who I was, because I felt like I was a disappointment as well. And I had to go through that, especially like even after I graduated and I couldn't find a job in my field at all, even though I was applying literally everywhere and I wasn't, but I was working these hours and I was making tons of money. Like it was, it was weird, especially like because Andre started working for Monsanto for that internship and then he got hired right on mm-hmm. and then also I was supposed to graduate with Andre but because my transfer credits weren't right I had to come back another semester so I was straight was like my little brother has surpassed me that's how I feel and then so I was dealing with all of that and then by the time I graduated and I couldn't find a job I was just like well since I have no life I have no girlfriend or anything else I'm just gonna work hard and, and play super hard so I'm working 60 hours 60 70 hours a week getting fucked up that was but me. I'm going to work that was me like a month ago <laughs> <laughs> like he like we were going balls to the wall each night but like so that's what I was focused on then I was thinking about this today I straight retired from partying after chance died yeah and it was just like, man, it's like my dad always quotes this Michael Jordan phrase when he retired the first time. Like, when I lose a sense of motivation, <laughs> I just had to walk away, man. Like, I lost the motivation to get, like, super, like, fucked up. It was like, bro, I had been to the mountaintop. And then I had lost the only, I mean, the, not the only friend, but, like, the closest person to me. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, I don't need this part of my life anymore. If I can't do this shit and wild out with him, I don't want to fucking do this shit. Just going to go home, chill. I had that. Um, I, I think I had that same kind of mentality when he died. Um, so I slowed down on all that. And then Austin died the same year. Yeah. And then I was just really mind-fucked. Yeah. And then I was just like, no matter how fast or how slow you're going, this shit could end all of a sudden. And you're just trying to make sense of that, along with all the other bullshit in your fucking life. You're having to wrestle with what does life and death actually mean. Yeah. And the way I found peace, you know, was either being creative because if I'm not creative I will destroy myself like if it's not blogging or if it's not doing like I have to do something creative or I will bust yeah I need an outlet or it gets dark up there and I need I need to unleash that darkness that's why sometimes, like, I'm scared that these podcasts are going to get super dark. Kind of like this one. But, hey. <laughs> I mean, it's real. It's real. It It is. And I know as other people, the only bad thing about 
our generation is people want to act like everything's Gucci. And it's like, no, some days you don't feel like getting out of bed. Yeah. Some days you don't feel like taking a shower and leaving your house. Yeah. And force yourself to do it. And it's other people that force themselves to do those things. Just know that we all in this shit together. <laughs> Somebody had started a meme. They were like, why is it that if I start sick, every time I start singing, I believe I can fly. The next lyrics I always think of is like, I got shot by the <laughs> FBI. <laughs> All I wanted was some chicken wings. And a Big Mac from Burger, Burger King. King. <laughs> and the ultimate plot twist <laughs> is that Burger King decided eventually they were going to steal the Big Mac and came out with the Big King. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if that was like a millennial be like, I got an idea, guys. <laughs> I remember a song <laughs> when we were kids. And how about we steal the Big Mac from McDonald's? Man, I saw a meme that had me rolling it was like um that 90s graphic that everybody used on everything in the 90s and like kind of early 2000s i always call it the saved by the bell graphic but it's like the like spray paint of like turquoise and then like a scribble of purple the taco bell water cup yes and it's got like (laughs) the little triangles around it yeah there was a meme that was like I don't know what this is, but I remember this shit. <laughs> like, yes. Because it was literally on everything. I think McDonald's had it on their water uh-huh. cup. That was the Taco Bell decoration, period. Not just yes. the water cup. It was on the walls, my nigga. Yeah. <laughs> Those colors, that turquoise and that purple. Why is it that like each generation has like that one thing that just stuck for and so it's long? Like, it, like, what is it now? Like, what is the... I don't know. Like, it's got to be something that, like, years from now, we'll be like, yo, that shit's so 2018. Now, what I do see for, like, 2007 is, like, those ultra-bright colors on stuff. Oh, yeah. You're like, yeah, those were the jerking days. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) When we used to wear, like, the (laughs) the rock star graphic tees and the plaid scarves around our necks and shit. I saw somebody wearing, you remember those rock star studded belts? Yes. That everybody was rocking? Yes. Why was that? We all wanted to be rock stars. (laughs) I know. You'd be like the hoodest niggas just wearing Wearing this rocker shit. And then like also that was around the time when people would be like (laughs) the funny thing is uh, white people don't believe in cultural appropriation until it's appropriating their shit mm-hmm. they'd be like do you actually listen to that band? yeah yeah <laughs> like, somebody legit got mad at some little teenager with a nirvana shirt on the other day it's like and even though like nirvana is like the most like it's the biggest band in the 90s it really is it's like it's not, also a trendy thing though so it's like right, why I, you mad it's like bro it's like it's not like you're talking about like some unknown punk band. You're right. talking about the last like a super popular the last rock and roll Jesus was Kurt Cobain. <laughs> and I dare somebody to say somebody <laughs> Let's argue. <laughs> Change my mind. <laughs> Hashtag I've had a couple theories about Nirvana because I mean of course I love Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, 
uh, Chris Novoselic and Mr. Dave Grohl. But one theory I always had was the cultural exchange that happened with Dr. Dre being introduced to white kids in the suburbs and rural places actually also took place with Nirvana being in black areas. Mm. Because black people also very much love Nirvana. Yeah, that's true. And they know the songs. Like, if you pull the shit, be like, well, name me five songs. Niggas might pull out ten songs. (laughs) Right, and know the lyrics. They will at least go with Smells Like Teen Teen Spirit. Spirit. (laughs) A lot of niggas also fuck with In Bloom and Lithium, though. Man, who was I thinking about the other day that we left off of the, the list of bands that black people listen to? Um... Oh, uh, Kings of Leon. Yes, my mom fucking like <laughs> Kings of Leon. That's- I had a whole entire moment the other day. I like downloaded their album from 2008, and I was like in my feelings to almost the entire album. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it was that was the move then. Oh, the other part of the Nirvana uh, mythology that I also do is. That Kurt Cobain and Tupac were a dual person. Mm. And the fact of they died within similar years and they were so cultural impactful. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a like a playing card where one side is Kurt, the other side is Tupac. And it's just, just tragic. Yeah. And, I and can, that makes sense. I can see that. Like, yo MTV raps took rap into suburban neighborhoods but also rock being played on MTV also made it to black areas Mm. and it was a culture exchange that like you remember like this also like when we were like in middle school it was the whole like you're acting white and shit thing that started that's not like Black people always listen to white music. Yeah. White people always listen to black music. Yeah, that's true. Like, if you talk to your like, my granddaddy used to love the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the, they always grew up on that shit. Yeah. It's just, by the time we got to school, we were searching for what being authentically black was mm. based on being in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That we had a complicated relationship with our blackness. Yeah. Wow. That you you said that perfectly. I be trying to explain that to people all the time. But like, and you can only understand it if you've been through it. Like we saw like tons of our like our classmates. Like the thing by the time we were in school. It's going to date us a little bit. <laughs> That's when, like, it was the rise of trap music. Mm. So, you had Tip, you had Young Jeezy, and you had Boosie. And Gucci, of course. And it's niggas that we knew that threw their whole life away. <laughs> Trying to live up to that. Yep. That's true. And they probably were in better financial situations than us, even. Like, through their parents. Niggas grew up in the suburbs wanting to be from the trap. <laughs> hey man, we all <laughs> we all gotta figure out what this blackness means to us. Yeah, that's true. 
by any means necessary at some points. I think I'm I'm on the brink of really figuring out what my blackness is. What is your blackness, Kimberly? Um I'm I I'll say that I'm just way more confident in who I am. I'm not as ashamed. <laughs> um I feel I feel more like a strong woman and I don't feel bad for the things that I like or dislike. Um, <laughs> we're just black as hell. <laughs> we're like, oh, nigga, you don't fuck with this shit. What? Somebody raised you wrong, right? We're throwing shade. It'd be like you uncultured swan. How dare you not like Kings of Leon? But no, I just feel. I feel more. I just feel strong. I feel sexy as a black woman like I never I never I didn't have this kind of confidence growing up which I know a lot of people don't but when you think about like in middle school there were certain people who just knew they were the shit that was never me it wasn't me in high school either and I feel like over the years just dealing with different people black and white I've been able to confident confidently stand up in my blackness yeah and to me, my blackness is, it's, it's multifaceted. Where your blackness is just about being aware of your, the legacy of your skin color mm-hmm. in this America, mm-hmm. but also knowing that we have to look forward. Our stories to be written. Yeah. And I think once you understand that, while never shying away or discrediting where our story has been, mm-hmm. I think that's when you find the confidence of it. And also, just let letting motherfuckers pull the wool over your fucking face. Yeah. Black, white, or whoever. Like, there's... I think there are some things that are culturally African-American. Right. To be like specific, like not even just black, but right. like, like the way we talk on certain things mm-hmm. and the things co- we eat and right, those are more so based on of how we got here and right. what happened after roots, right? But I think that we're also very much American, and we have to reclaim being American. Yeah, and I think. It doesn't have to be like defining blackness for us or anybody. It doesn't have to be a complicated thing. Like, honestly, whatever you do is black because you're black. Whatever right. you're gravitating towards, that's your blackness. Like, it, it doesn't have to be a certain, oh, I ride with my fist in the air. Right. So, you know, that's my blackness. Right. And I think every, but I do think every black person does go through that militant phase. Yeah. But I think it's also finding that balance. And when you're at the point to where you can't push stuff aside, like, I don't know. I I don't know. I think it's important to just know where you come from, where you're going, and how you're going to get to that place. Mm. And once you know that, even if it's only your personal journey, not our collective journey, if you focus on that and then you build and bring people up with you, 
that's your only responsibility of being black. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be pissed in the air all the time. Now, when it's down the ride, you at least need to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you might need to ride with us. But don't just ride on everything. Right. Because people will be out here leading you astray. That's true. Keep your, keep your third eye open. Right. Always be aware. And stay woke. Because niggas creeping. They gonna find you. Gonna catch you sleeping. But stay woke. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I was listening the other day to that podcast and I was talking about how our culture had been stripped away and you came back with the perfect... The Black Panther. <laughs> our culture has been stripped, stripped away. <laughs> Thank you.